Bear down, Bears fans. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City, Gridiron, and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you. And oh, let that music play. I am fired up. Oh, is that good to see? Oh, wait, I shouldn't be that fired up after a Bears loss. I don't care. I want a quarterback on this roster that we can build on for years and years for the next decade, something we have not had. I do not want Jay Cutler. Not that there's anything wrong with Jay Cutler. I need better than Jay Cutler. I need a top 10, 12 quarterback in this league. And what I saw out of Justin Fields in the second half are signs that he can become that guy. EJ Snyder, you know him well if you listen to the Windy City Gridiron podcasts from Bears Over Beers. He is going to be joining us here in just a little bit. Plenty to do with EJ. I am looking forward to that conversation because we usually don't get to talk around the draft, but we're going to talk in season, change things up a little bit. Looking forward to that conversation. But before we get there, again, I just want to talk about this Vikings game here a little bit. Did it suck that they lost? Absolutely. You know, the mistake at the end of the game by ISM there was beyond frustrating. I mean, it was crippling. You know, you, you sit there and, and, and you, you wanted a chance, right? You wanted a chance to see what Justin Fields could do in that situation. And you just started to see that he was pushing that ball down the field and moving that ball. And to have a, a, a just a poor decision like that was, was beyond frustrating. Not to mention that the, the block that negated the field's touchdown early. It, it was an awful, awful game by him. A rough one. The type of games that, that's the type of games that that player could be cut, right, at the end of the game. Obviously, that didn't happen. Young player. Fields, you know, said nice things about him post-game. He didn't necessarily have to do that. That was a great sign of a leader. But overall, that was frustrating to see. But again, what we saw in the second half from Justin Fields is so promising because you saw what he could do when the pass protection breaks down, which is going to keep happening this year. Frustrating, no doubt. And he can still make plays and get first downs. You saw the arm talent again, the arm, the, the accuracy, 12 of 13 in the second half, I believe, was, was the number. There were positives. Not only that, he was in rhythm, he was making good decisions, he was getting the ball out much quicker. There were so many good things coming. Like, this is the, 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 the player, the talented arm, the guy that you know can make the right decisions, the, the athlete who can make plays with his legs, the thing that where he literally checked every box where you said, this guy is going to be a very good to great NFL quarterback, and it hasn't been coming together for a multitude of reasons. And again, that doesn't mean that Fields had a great second half and now he's about to take off. Would love to see that, but there are so many things going against him this year because of the lack of talent on offense. And again, is that, you know, the only reasons? No, that's not the only reasons. Fields has been making mistakes. He's been inaccurate with the ball. He hasn't been decisive. He's missed open receivers, but he's young. And when you see him getting past that and making good decisions with the ball and getting the ball out and feeling pressure, there were a couple times against Minnesota where they had a blindside rush that he felt and moved and did not get nailed and fumble the football. There were so many good things coming out of that game for Justin Fields that the positives started stacking. You know, that game to me, 
goes in Justin Fields' top three games of his career. Maybe his best one, but the top three games in his career. And those three games are the 49ers game from last year, the Steelers game from last year, and this one here against Minnesota. I think those are the best three performances had without question. And all three of those, the second half performance far outweighed the first half. Still haven't seen Justin Fields put together that dynamite full season, or I'm sorry, full game, full 60 minutes, put it together. Hopefully we'll see it. Washington will present that opportunity for him. We'll see if we are on the cusp of getting that from him. But either way, you just have to be thrilled if you're a Bears fan that we saw things turning in the right direction. There needs to be more of that. It needs to continue to grow offensively. And that's going to fall on Justin Fields' shoulders because there just isn't enough talent everywhere else to lift this offense. The running game continues to be pretty darn good. Montgomery and Herbert look like they're going to be a nice pair throughout this season if both of them can stay relatively healthy. The offensive line is run blocking pretty darn well. But the offensive line... The pass blocking, again, continues, continues to be a problem. And I will just go through it here from what I saw against Minnesota. Braxton Jones was bad. Uh, you know, some people tell me that they thought he played better. I didn't see it because maybe Braxton Jones held a few blocks better than he has in the past. But Braxton Jones made mistakes, blocking mistakes. He did not understand the play, went the wrong direction on more than one occasion, the one play where everyone likes to talk about the disaster that was hilarious. It, it looks like peewee football, but that play where the left side of the line completely collapsed and Fields got out of it and managed to get up the field and get the first down, that play was, all, to me, was all Braxton Jones. If you look at that play, Herbert comes over to block. The, the right side did the job right. They stepped right. They kept their guys fine. Good job, Borum. Good job, Jenkins. You know, Mustafer had the, the mic if he was going to blitz. He didn't. Now, Mustafer did not help out. But again, not as much Mustafer. Now, you look at Patrick and you look at Jones. Jones went the wrong way. Jones went inside. He apparently thought he was going to have outside help from Herbert. I'm not sure. But Jones fouled his man inside. Patrick took that man, which was the proper guy to take. Then we see the edge rusher coming free on the outside, Patrick sees it, turns to go desperately try and save the play right at the same time that Jones realizes that that's his guy about to blow by him. So both of them leave the, the defender at the exact same time to go try and get the edge. They both miss the edge. Mustafer doesn't come over to help out on the guy they both bailed on, and it looks like a peewee football play. But it's in the end. Now, Patrick has not been good. I thought Lucas Patrick was a better player than this. He has not been good. Maybe he will be better at center whenever he gets over there. I don't know why he's not there now, quite honestly, but he's got to be able to snap because he's got to be the backup center because they're not putting any other centers on the active roster on game day. So if Mustafer gets hurt, Patrick is going to be snapping the football. So I don't understand why he's not at center at this point, but regardless Patrick at guard has not been good. Now, I'm not blaming him on that play. That play is on Braxton Jones. And I think Braxton Jones is okay. I'm not sitting here ripping him to pieces. Fifth round rookie, he's going to struggle. There's no doubt about that. 
but would really like to see him improve in his pass blocking and honestly making sure he knows the playbook. That mistake there on that play is him not knowing the playbook or missing the line call, whatever it might be. He did not know the protection that he was supposed to be in, period. Went the wrong way, created a giant mess. Lucas Patrick been bad. Jones has not been great, but again, this is what you did. You threw him out there and wanted to see how good can he get. Can he become a decent NFL player, a good NFL player? That wasn't going to happen overnight with a fifth-round pick coming from that, that level of college. So that's fine. He's a developmental player. But again, you're not putting great support next to him with Patrick. Mustafer, look, he ain't it, guys. We all know it. We don't need to spend a lot of time on it. Maybe he could be a decent backup interior offensive lineman if he can play guard. We know the Bears were starting him at guard in training camp, uh, starting to play him there, and then Patrick got hurt. He moved back over to center. So I have no idea if Mustafer can play guard or not. But if he's a decent guard, then maybe he can be a decent backup somewhere, but he should not be starting. And now Cody Whitehair's out. And you have even less less people to go across. White hair has been playing pretty well, but now you're not dealing with white hair. So now what are you going to do? You're going to sit there and juggle the offensive line a little bit with Patrick over there instead of the rotation at right guard. But look, it's not it's not good. On the right side, Jenkins. I'm pretty happy with Tevin Jenkins. I don't know if the Bears like Tevin Jenkins, but he is clearly their best offensive lineman. He is their best run blocker. He's not necessarily their best pass blocker, but I think he's been okay with, with pass blocking. He's certainly been better than Jones and Borum on the outside and Patrick on the inside and Mustafer. I, I, you know, you want to say Whitehair's been a better pass blocker? Okay, fine. But, I mean, this is where we're looking at with this offensive line. And then you move over to Borum. Larry Borum stinks, guys. I know some of you love Larry Borum. I don't know why you love Larry Borum, but Larry Borum is causing issues for this offense on the regular. You know, people were jumping all over how great he was as a rookie, and I didn't see it there. He was okay in a couple games, but he made a lot of mistakes last year. You say, well, fifth-round rookie, okay, fine. But now we're in year two. He's continuing. I mean, he's getting destroyed by some edge play, just destroyed. And he's getting beaten regularly, and he is blowing up plays on the offense, especially in the pass game. Run game, yeah, he's been doing some decent run blocking. But again, the unit overall has been doing some decent run blocking. But this pass blocking, it's a mess. And, and I said this multiple times on this podcast. I've tweeted it. And I know Whitehair is injured right now, but they need Braxton Jones, Cody Whitehair, Lucas Patrick, Tevin Jenkins, and Riley Reef, left to right. That needs to be the starting offensive line. That is the best five. I said it six weeks ago that that is the best five on this offensive line. And they are not doing it. I don't understand why Riley Reef isn't getting a chance. Maybe he stinks now. But for the player I saw over the last 10 years, he is better than what is out on the field. And I understand he's not going to be a part of this team moving forward. Lucas Patrick, I thought might be, but Lucas Patrick, I don't think is going to be a part of this team moving forward when these contracts expire. But at some point, Justin Fields needs to get some pass protection so we can actually see him develop instead of running for his life constantly. We need improvement on the offensive line. And the only guy that I, I trust right now to go out there and improve things is Riley Reef. Alex Leatherwood, I don't think they have any plans to play Alex Leatherwood this year. This is a developmental guy that's saying, hey, this was a first-round talent. He wasn't. He was a second, maybe even a third-round talent. The Raiders way overreached on him. But this is a first-round talent, second-round talent. This is a player 
with skills who should be able to become a solid NFL player. And maybe he still will. But this to me is kind of like Eric Flowers. If you remember Eric Flowers, Eric Flowers was, I think, the Giants to start his career and was a debacle. He was a turnstile at tackle. He was getting quarterbacks murdered. He was a joke of an offensive lineman. They got rid of him. Washington moved him inside. And he started playing much better. Now, maybe Alex Leatherwood can be that. Maybe Alex Leatherwood can develop on the inside and become a pretty good guard. Obviously, that's what the Bears are going to, I think, eventually try and do. But you don't want Leatherwood out there right now. Go watch Raider tape from last year and realize who Alex Leatherwood is before you try and say that Alex Leatherwood needs to be out on the field. He does not. All right. Riley Reef is the guy to try and go out there and see what he has. You know, there's a reason that Zach Thomas and, and, and Carter and those guys are not you know, getting those opportunities, those are fifth, you know, sixth round picks as rookies. That you, That's just, those players rarely can step in and play as rookies. So we need to see some improvement on the offensive line and we're just not going to see it with this group. So hopefully Whitehair gets back soon and hopefully they give Riley Reef a chance because watching this team pass block, I'm going to rip out what few hairs I still have left on the top of my head. Defensively, why this team is playing so much better in the second half than the first half, I'm not sure, but they are making adjustments, and it is really good to see that. I mean, they've given up one defensive, one offensive touchdown this defense has in the second half for the entire season, nothing else but field goals. Overall, the unit's playing okay, but there are a lot of issues within the defensive unit. The, the defensive line is not stopping the run efficiently enough, and they certainly are not getting to the quarterback. There is not enough pressure. Roquan Smith stinks. I know he had a great game against Houston, but he is way, way underperforming what we expected out of him. And in the secondary, it's probably their It's definitely their strength of their defense. But with Jalen Johnson out, we're seeing some issues. Kyler Gordon certainly can't be covering the top wide receivers in the league, but who else are they going to put on them? They don't have enough guys. Eddie Jackson's playing pretty well. Brisker's playing pretty well. We're seeing some things out of the secondary, but when nothing is happening up front, eventually those guys are going to allow their players to get open. So overall, we're seeing what we're seeing. A, a, a team that does not have a lot of talent, where the GM is trying to overturn this roster almost completely, and it'll take him two or three years to do this, and there was only so much talent he could bring in with almost no cap space and no first-round pick. So the talent is going to be limited this year, so the win total is going to be limited this year. But we are seeing a couple positives, and again, the Justin Fields positive is what makes me excited right now to be a Bears fan. I have said all along I want to see what this team can do in 2023, and I am still, that is my focus, but... Along for the ride until we get there, Justin Fields. What kind of quarterback can he become? Can he become that special talent that so many experts in the NFL believe he can be? Uh, Sunday was a great, great step towards potentially becoming that quarterback. So we're going to talk about everything I just discussed with EJ Snyder, get his opinion on all of it. He joins us next. Bears banter, Bill Zimmerman. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back into the podcast. Very excited for this next guest. This kind of just happened a little bit last minute, but I always love talking to this guy. We usually only talk around the draft, so in season, I, I am looking forward to this. He is now Football EJ, at Football EJ on Twitter. He is EJ Snyder, the draft guru, 
bootleg football podcast. Of course, bears over beers as well every Thursday, including this Thursday with the short week. So make sure you check him out there as well. He's EJ Snyder. He joins us now. EJ, Bill Zimmerman, how are you? I'm great, Bill. I'm I'm excited that we get to talk out of draft season. That's our norm. We usually sort of do one at the beginning and one at the end. But, um, you know, now that I get to do this full time, we get to do this more often. And this is just one of those happy byproducts. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, a happy byproduct of the Chicago Bears was being happy about a loss and not necessarily <laughs> that they lost. But I think a lot of Bears fans and look, myself included, you know, you, you, you sit there and I understand Justin Fields is in his third offense in three years. And I understand that this offense really does seem to take a while for quarterbacks to get their feet under them, including guys like Aaron Rodgers, who struggled early in this offense. So there were all these things going at it. But when you see alarming regression for a couple of weeks, and we definitely saw that with Justin Fields, you start, you know, when I had, I had Sylvie on this podcast and I said, it's kind of the DEFCON system, right? So you draft the guy and you start off and you're at the lowest level. And then after the rookie year with fields and it wasn't quite what you wanted, you, you raise it to DEFCON from five to four. And then to me, after those couple rough weeks, I raise it to DEFCON three. We're not, we're not calling them a bust. We're not panicking, but you kind of sit there and go, I kind of wanted to see things a little better, but uh, I, I think, you know, the, the, the progression kind of started maybe even the week before it may not have shown up on the stat page, but you know, some, you know, the, um, the tape experts, so to speak, really went and saw that fields was making better decisions. And I think it started to come together a little next week, not the gaudiest thing. If you're a traditional, you know, passing stats guy that wants 325 and three touchdowns, you didn't see that, but if you like QBR, he was the fourth highest ranked quarterback in the league this week. You know, a lot of positive things. And there were some positive plays that he lost to due to, due to uh, penalties. So I really liked what happened with Justin Fields. Again, I know it's a loss, but as I've said, basically since February, that I did not care about this team's win-loss record this year, that Justin Fields was all that mattered to me. So I was really pleased with what I saw. Tell me what you thought about this game here past Sunday against the Vikings. Tale of two halves. First half, I was thoroughly disappointed. I had the same feelings that you did and many other Bears fans have had over the first month of the season, which was, oh boy, not only is this not great, we expected it to take some time, but this is worse than that. This is historically bad territory. We need to get out of here pretty quickly because... This isn't even a basic level of function. It's a low number of passes. It's a very low number of completion and yards. Um, lowest number of passing yards in the NFL so far through five weeks. They have a thousand less yards than the Bills passing. Uh, you know, and it's not about wins and losses, but it was about how it looked. He was taking too long. The sacks were piling up. Even when he had open receivers, he wasn't necessarily having trust in the offensive line. And I don't blame him one bit for that because he was getting, you know, gobsmacked every other play, but you just didn't see it. There were a lot of things going wrong and it didn't seem like very many things were going right. And the first half against the Vikings looked exactly like that. 95 yards passing, a lot of busted plays, you didn't see that progression. And I think I put out a tweet in the first half that said, they're going to have to have a huge turnaround just to not get blown out. Right. This, this could be a 
five touchdown loss if they keep going. Like yeah, you, you felt like it was going to be 34 to 13. Like that, that's where midway yeah. through the second quarter, that's where it was. That was where it was headed. Yeah. And that's if they eased off and ran the ball in the fourth quarter when they were up. So it looked awful. And again, stacking it on previous weeks, there, there just wasn't a lot to pick out that said, Hey, this is hopeful. This is great. This is progression. Now go in for halftime sprinkle whatever they want to on their orange slices. I wasn't aware that competent football team came in a powder, but apparently that's what they applied to their halftime snack. They come out and you see all many of the things that you're looking for. You see good decisions. You see him, even though he is pressured spinning out of what should be sure sacks, picking up yards, hitting open receivers, hitting a couple of deep balls, um, starting to get Cole Komet into the flow of the offense the way it looked like he would be in preseason. Just lots of positives. They start to push the Vikings. The Vikings actually start to worry a little bit, which if you'd watched the first half of that game and told somebody their future selves, oh, the Bears are going to make the Vikings worry in this game, I, I think everybody would have said you're lying. So those things are really positive, and they are very, very different. They're in stark contrast to the first four weeks of the season, four and a half, if you really want to count it that way. And they do give you hope that, hey, if they can give Justin Fields just a little bit of protection, because we all know he needs a little bit of time. He is a great PA, drop back passer, all that stuff. That requires time. He's not a great quick game guy. He's not to a, like, give him a little time and watch him develop. And you got to see some of that in the second half. And it's like, see, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. And, and it was, I, I loved, it was, it was decisive. It was, he was in rhythm. Like, and that was the, you just so much of this has been, you just, you just see him. It just feels like from the split second that the ball is snapped, you just feel like everything about the play is dissolving. And we, we, it was just, it was rhythm. And again, the protection, I, you want to call it better. It was, it's still not what I want to see for him, mm-hmm. but the, it when Fields gets in that rhythm and, and the offense can rally around him a little bit and the it's decisive, you know, it looked like a real offense. And that was really for the first time this year. And I understand they had won a couple games, but those games, I mean, that, that first week in the rain, that it that was just a couple plays that happened and, and the Bears got points out of it. And, you know, like I said, the monsoon started back up again at the right time, which just gave the 49ers no chance, even with the Texans. I mean, that's the only winless team in the league and they battled them down. So they we really haven't seen it, but that second half, and again, I don't want to over-exaggerate things and sit here and go, they're about to be this greatest show on turf and, and make Kurt Warner and Marshall Falk look like children, but at, it, was, it looked professional. And for the first time, that second half of the year uh, of this Vikings game, the offense looked professional. It looked like it belonged in the NFL. And is that a low bar? Absolutely. But you got to start somewhere. And the, the amount that fields brought that up and like, and you talked about it, it just his ability to get yards, his ability to sense that the play was breaking down on a couple of times, the blind, the blind rusher that was coming and he just felt him, you know, there is, he had eyes in the back of his head. There was so many positives where you sit there and go, and that's what I think has been so frustrating as, as, as someone like, like you or myself that gets to talk around to people in the league and people that go to across the country to training camps and, and see these teams and talk to the important people. 
And time and time again, when I talk to people, like my favorite quote, and I, I don't, you know, I haven't heard him say it publicly, so I don't want to throw him under the bus, but not throw him under the bus, you know, it's a positive thing. But one, someone told me in late August, they said, you know, when you see Justin Fields practice and play and you talk to him, it feels impossible that he will fail. That's been my favorite quote about Fields. It feels impossible that he will fail in this league. And when you just don't see it coming together, you just want like, what's the disconnect? What's the disconnect? So to, to see that coming together and to sit there and say, all right, now you can stack that against a, a Washington team coming up that is definitely going to present opportunities for Fields, win or loss. Again, I don't care, but you know they're not that good of a football team offensively or defensively right now. You know, you, you sit there and you have hope and you sit there and say, all right, now there's something to build on. Could he regress and play terribly again on Thursday on the national stage? Absolutely. And we'll be all frustrated again. But it was the first step to progress. Yeah, you had to see it. That's the thing is we can talk about it and we can pick out certain examples. Like you said, certain plays, even in week one, it was a couple of plays every week. It's been a couple of plays every time there's something that, you know, film or stat guys will pull out and go, well, you know, in the third quarter to the primary read, he was, you know, 85%. And you're like, well, that's pretty good, but it's one quarter in one particular case. We needed to see a whole case, right? We needed to see it put together and, and actually come out in the field in action, in black and white, put it on tape is what coaches always say. Like, don't tell me how great you are. Put it on tape, right? And we that believe in fields, and I'm certainly count myself among those folks, look at all the skills, look at all the plays he has made together and, and ask the same questions. Why is it not happening? And largely the answer to that, it, there is no simple answer to that, but largely this year, the answer is because the protection is absolute dog do like probably one play out of two 50 of the time he sees a flash of color in his face in under two seconds from somewhere from the and it's not always from the same place right if it's always from the same place you can kind of account for it but sometimes it's in the middle sometimes it's off the edge sometimes it's an unaccounted for db that wasn't supposed to be his pickup and you know, I don't blame the guy for being gun shy, for ducking, for for missing open guys, you know, coming open later in the play. He just hasn't had that time. And so that's been the biggest thing. But then there are those ones from the early season that really worried me where he did get time and he still like sure. ran out of a clean pocket or just completely spaced a guy that could have moved the sticks because he was looking for something else or just plain old didn't see him. And those are really disappointing because when you're defending a guy and you believe in his skill set and you, you are hopeful about the offensive coaches, Hey, they're new too. And you don't see it all come together. You, you're asking the same questions. Why, 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 when is it going to come together? Are we ever going to see it? We started to doubt and the second half of the Vikings game was the first time we can really sort of take a snapshot of the whole thing and go, it's this. And to me, plus what he said after the game about ISM's game ending mistake, right? He was asked point blank as the leader of the team, as the quarterback, when he was on the podium, what do you think about this? And his quote was basically me paraphrasing. It's unfortunate. It's a bummer. I think he's a good young player. It's our job to rally around him. I think he's going to help us make plays in the future. And, you know, we hope he doesn't make the same mistake twice, but that's, it's on us to bring him up. And I was like, 
that's it, right? That's what <laughs> you have to say. And if you can do that and you can do the things that we saw on the field, especially sensing pressure, which is something I've got on Danny Dimes for, for his entire career is his inability to do that, which is a real Achilles heel. Justin showed that he has that sixth sense when a rusher's coming. We all know he has the arm. We all know he has the legs. It's about time. It's about that leadership and, and that quote that you gave. I love, it seems impossible that he will fail. And we're all like, okay, so make it possible already. <laughs> and the second half of the Vikings game was that. Yeah, it, it, it really was. And, and, and this may be a little bit of an oversimplification, but for me, if you're watching football games, the best thing to watch, and this is something that I think I kind of taught myself after kind of scouting and watching Mitch Trubisky. And this isn't, I am not going to turn this into a ripping Mitch Trubisky fest, but Mitch Trubisky, I think I was a little blinded by the 2018 team success, right? Mm -hmm. 2017, you saw the rookie struggles. 2018 came into his own a little bit. He had a very high QBR for the season. You know, everyone wanted to circle that. I was one of them circling that in 2018. But what I realized I did, and I think a lot of Bears fans did this that were Mitch believers, and I think there's still Mitch believers out there that are doing the same thing. You can look at Mitch Trubisky's positive plays, and he has positive plays. There's no for doubt sure. about it. He has, he has NFL level skills and you sit there and like, and I'll throw it out there since Washington's coming up his throw to Taylor Gabriel against Washington a few years ago on primetime TV was something that only a handful of quarterbacks in the league could, could make that throw, but he made it because he has those skills, but what he cannot do. And if you, whatever you want to blame, you want to blame, you know, the, his inability to read defenses, whatever you want to do, the, the, the arm accuracy, whatever you want to look at. I ignored the negatives and only focused on the positives, right? And, and the one thing that I think you need to do for a young quarterback is you need to look at both. You can't sit there and be like, well, he's young. He's going to make those mistakes and you just throw them aside. You got to look at them. And that's the one thing I think a lot of Bears fans did with Trubisky is they saw the ceiling plays and ignored the fact that, Three drives in a row were three and outs because of four different Mitch Trubisky. They weren't all Mitch Trubisky mistakes, but four or five different Mitch Trubisky mistakes. And, and then suddenly he makes a dynamic play or he makes a dynamic run. And we sit there and go, well, that's going to be the quarterback. But it doesn't work that way because any quarterback who's a top 50 quarterback in the world, and Trubisky is probably top 35, top 40 at this point, is going to have that ability to do that. And that's the one thing I, I really wanted to, to look at with fields. And the simplest way for me to look at that when, when you're just watching games is, is he stacking plays? Because if you stack plays, you're going to get drives. And if you can put together seven, eight, nine yard, you know, play 75 yard drives, you're going to score and you're going to have a, a, a legit offense in the NFL. And that's the one thing fields has not done very often. Did it a little bit in the second half against San Francisco last year did a little bit in the second half against Pittsburgh last year. And we saw it against, uh, you know, this, this last week here against Minnesota. So we're starting to see that a little bit more and more. And that's what I want to see him growing on is the stacking place where I see him make. And again, does that mean that if play can't get called back to a holding penalty or a bad route run or, or poor running play and the whole drive blows up because it takes, you know, one holding penalty on, on second and nine and your, your drive is doomed. So we, we, we understand all that. It doesn't mean that the Bears suddenly need to be scoring 34 points a game for me to be happy with what I'm seeing from Justin Fields. But I need to see, you know, where at least he puts together, you know, four good throws out of five on a drive and they're consistently getting across midfield 
And again, things may blow up still because this is an offense lacking talent overall, but I need to start seeing that. And I saw that in the second half and there's going to be an opportunity presented itself on national TV, where hopefully some of these national pundits that like to crap on him can eat a little crow. Hopefully we see that on Thursday night. Yeah, I hope so too. And it's the, you make a good point about, you want to see a quarterback stack drives, but a lot of times that means an offense stack drives. And if you believe the quarterback to be good, as we believe Justin Fields to be good, or you believed Mitch Trubisky to be good, right? You look at it and you go, how many times is it his fault? Right. If, if, if he, you know, if, <laughs> if Sam Mustafer just disappears like a puff of smoke and the defensive tackle is on Justin Fields in one second, like we're pretty sure why that play blew up, right? It's not on fields. It's, it's on the line, right? But there were those times where it's okay. This is average, right? We know their talent is average, both along the line and in the receiving core, but this is average talent. He has an average pocket, two and a half seconds plus, right? He gets average separation from his receivers and it still doesn't work out. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's on him. He's not the only other option. Could be play calling, could be timing, could be whatever else. But in those moments where it wasn't clearly somebody else's fault, where the line didn't fall apart like tissue paper and the receivers actually got some separation, is he making those plays? And that's what I'm looking at. Like, okay, so we've set the table. This is where we expect you as a top 30 quarterback to make a play pretty regularly right and stack them together and he wasn't doing that through the first month there were plenty of those plays where he had a decent amount of support and still the right thing didn't happen and those were the ones that were starting to worry me you talk about the defcon scale i love that it's like cranking up the concern right we can't hang out here and have this be good we need to not be making these mistakes over and over again and Again, fits and starts, fits and starts, play here, drive there, whatever it is, but not together. And I'm with you. Got to see it consistently because consistency of, of anything in quarterbacking is what's going to win you games in the NFL. Consistently solid production, decision-making, ability to avoid negative plays. Sometimes that's the thing, right? Hey, your center screwed up. Get the ball out of bounds, right? Live to fight another day. So there's lots of good ways to, to not be the reason that your offense is failing. And too many times through the first month he was, I'm really looking forward to the game against Washington because they are vulnerable. This is not a great team. They're not going to put a lot of points on the board. They are going to have their fits and starts, but this is not a threshing machine. This is not a juggernaut that you're facing where your window for mistakes is extremely limited. Washington's probably going to put up between 17 and 25 points. That is a beatable total in the NFL. And if you can not play so horribly out of the gate, because while we talk about the second half of the Vikings game, I'm like, yeah, but you can't forget the first half. They put themselves in sure. a massive hole. You can't do that week after week in the NFL, come out and play from behind the eight ball. Doesn't work. So can we see a couple of those drives move to the first half? Can we see a little bit of consistency? Can we see a few points scored, even if it's only 10 or 13 or something? You know, if you're staying within striking distance and you're even going into the second half against a team that you know is not going to boat race you, like, then you've got a chance. Then you can say, hey, we've been holding them. We understand this staff looks like they can make adjustments at halftime, which, woohoo, 
we didn't really see that for the last couple of years. So that's super exciting. Then you come out and turn the screws like you did in the second half of the Vikings game. If you can sort of stack that kind of performance, it might only end up being 21 points. But if you win 21 to 19 or 21 to 15, doesn't really matter. Like if you can put it together in both halves and play decently against a bad team, you can come out with a win that we feel like you quote unquote earned. I know you earn them all in the NFL, but you know, yeah, there's sort of the 49ers was an asterisk. The Texans was an asterisk feels like the commanders could be a game where they just get a W and they go, yeah, they play better than that team. Yeah, you'd love to see it. And you brought this up, so I'll bring this up now. And that's that, you know, you said tail two halves and the consistency throughout the game. And I just like tweet tweeted out basically, you know, as the Bears were coming back, maybe as they took the lead. And I just said, could someone explain this team to me? Because <laughs> I, I, I'm sitting here, I don't no. know what I'm watching. Like, I, yeah. I don't get me wrong. I, I you know, and, and I say this, while I think, you know, a great draft pick and, and, and all like the chargers, Justin Herbert's rookie year to me is the perfect year for this bears team because they need a lot more talent and they can get that at the top of the draft, but we want to see fields be the guy, but I'm still, and I always say this on this podcast, I will never cheer for losses unless it is week 18 and the bears are one in 15 and they have a chance at, you know, the next Peyton Manning type quarterback kind of thing with the number one pick. I will never cheer for losses. I will always cheer for a win. Doesn't matter what I think about the overall season. So I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, great. They're getting boat raced by the Vikings. That's that's a wonderful thing. I, I get frustrated. But I sit here and you say tail of two halves. And we saw how inept they were against San Francisco. And then they make some plays in the second half. We keep seeing a huge swing that's inconsistent in terms of the team's overall performance. And it's usually improving as the game goes on, which is a positive, obviously. But like you also said, you can't keep burying yourself in the first quarter in NFL games and expect to be competitive. They've, they've gotten themselves back into some games. They've, they've won some games despite poor first half performances, but these wild swings of the level of play, the quality of play within the game, to me, I don't care if it's a young team. I don't care if they're inexperienced or lacking talent or it's an inexperienced coaching staff. Any of the things that, like, I had a bunch of responses when I tweeted that out, and I get all those things, but it's still, I can't put my finger on what is happening in the body of these games to see such wild swings of the quality of their play. Uh, Well, one thing is they suck at scripting. Uh, typically you mean delay of games on the first play of the offense is not, what Oh, you don't even start. That was a <laughs> dagger. I, so I tend as some folks that follow my work know that I, a lot of times will go to Buffalo wild wings so that for the first round of games on a, on a Sunday, because I can see all of them and there's a, where I am, there's a big mix of fan bases. People like me, they're there to see their team because they can't catch them on local TV and, and, you know, it's it's an interesting environment because you see all of it. You get all the halftime updates and you see every game. So I had gotten there five minutes before kickoff, maybe four. And I, you know, order my quote unquote breakfast and a beer. And, you know, here come the bears. OK, they're, and I'm like, what the hell? Like guy comes running on late fields is motioning flag. And I'm like. And I'd been watching the other game. I'm like, wait a minute. Is that the first play? 
Was that like, I mean, again, we get back to the notion of a script and typically for those folks that are listening, that don't know what a script is an offensive coach, offensive coordinator typically will put together 15 to 20 plays that he wants to play out and he'll have some, he'll have some options, but he wants to run the first 15 plays in a certain way to do any number of things, whether it's get his running back warmed up, get a couple of easy completions schemed in for his quarterback, uh, test a player that was listed on the injury report on another, you know, on the other team. There's any number of things that sort of go into the mix and stir creation of a script, but really good scripters. And strangely enough, Nagy was a pretty good scripter. The bears would come out decently for the first 15 or 20, and then they would just fall off and make no adjustments. So that was terribly frustrating. This team so far with this new coaching staff and and this group of players has come out cold every game and then heated up. And sometimes that's been even in the first quarter, like second drive, they've made adjustments and it's like, oh, okay. And that seemed like that happened a little bit earlier in the year. And then as we've gone a couple more games, like that adjustment came later and maybe it was into the second quarter before it really felt like, oh, they shifted. They, they saw what, was going on they got on the tablet and they said nope that's something we want to try and exploit this week it was even later it wasn't until halftime and that feels terribly late like you've given up half of your available time in the game to make a difference but the my point is what the hell's going on with the script are you so bad at putting together those first 15 or 20 that you're always just shooting blanks through the first drive or two because that seems suboptimal. It really time feels like a time to go out and make a statement or get your offense in rhythm or try some things. And the bears right now seem to stumble through that. And then unfortunately the trend so far this season is react to that later and later. So I want to see a, those reactions get back to where they were in the first couple of weeks where it felt like by the second quarter, Hey, they're, they're really doing some things differently here based on what happened in the first quarter. That's cool but also come out with a script. I mean, wouldn't it be cool? And how far would your jaw drop if the Bears came out and strung together a 12-play, 83-yard drive and scored a touchdown? Like Dude. on drive one, we would right. all be like, what? <laughs> like it, that's, and people are like, what do you mean? And you're like, that's the thing. You mentioned it earlier. I watched the entire NFL. I see a bunch of teams do that almost every week. There's sure. a handful of teams that are great. And they come out, and if they don't score on their first drive, you're like, what's wrong with these guys? The Bears, we would be so surprised if that happened that it just sort of tells you where they are and one thing that they're not great at. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, while, while we're kind of talking about play calling and, and scripting and all this, let's just do a quick – let me get your quick thoughts on Luke Getze through five games. You know, this is a guy who never called plays before. we got to keep that in mind. So he's growing as an offensive coordinator as well. Uh, you know, a lot of second and long, third and long runs and, and, you know, little screens and stuff that I know has frustrated a lot of Bears fans. But seeing some positive things and utilizing players in better – positions I, I think than we saw the last couple of years a lot of times as well so where are you with Getsy through five games I feel really sorry for him it's a it's been a rough stretch for the first five games if I'm if you're telling me that I get to go be a play caller for the first time either as a quarterback coach or as an offensive coordinator whatever and you say hey you've got a, a pretty talented but young quarterback 
you've got an offensive line that we we have a lot of options, but we're not sure what's going to work. So we're going to have to do some rotation there. Again, I'm kind of like, okay, that's not great. Um, we're going to bring in one mid-level free agent in the receiving core because we're not going to spend a lot of money there this year. You know that. But he's a pretty decent guy, and he's been productive in NFL offenses. Okay. Oh, yeah, but he's not going to be available pretty much for like the first month. Oh, okay. Um, is there anybody else? Oh, yeah, we drafted a guy. Third round, a little bit older, pretty explosive. Not the traditional skill set, but I think there's some things you could scheme up for him as an offensive play caller. I'm like, all right, that sounds fun. Oh, yeah, but he's going to have a hammy and he's not going to play for the first month. So you're like, wait, 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 wait. I'm without two of my top three receivers, my lines in shambles, and I have a young quarterback who's developing. Well, oh, crap. And then it really goes to shit. Like we saw the first three games, like almost nothing was working. And there's multiple reasons. We've talked about all those. As a play caller, you've got to adjust in game. You can't just kind of stay to your, well, I want to see if he can do this. It's not Madden, right? You're not just throwing up balls to see if they work. You got to go, well, shit, we got to try and get something together. So he tries to go to the screen game or he tries to go to the run game. Something that's like dead simple, right? Let's just see if we can execute some basic plays, right? And some of those don't even work. They get stuffed or the offensive line has miscues and like your penalties, all the things you see. And it just sort of compounds and starts to snowball. And you're like, okay, so when am I getting these guys back? And when are we going to sort out the offensive line? When are we going to have some stability? So, because a lot of these, like, and I pointed some of this out on Bears Over Beers a couple of weeks ago when I did, uh, I picked Cole Komet for my weekly A22 eval. And there were plays where Komet was open. Like the scheme was good. Getsy had drawn coverage off. Uh, it was a you know a nuanced route. Komet was open, but guess what? There was pressure in Fields' face in like 1.3 seconds. There was no chance for him to see him. So is that Komet's fault? No, he's open. Is it Getsy's fault? No, it was a good play. Like, had Justin Fields been standing and upright, yeah, he at least could have hit him. So I, I feel for Getsy. He's definitely, you can feel the learning curve, and it's not linear. Like we, we all want people to never make the same mistake twice and just stack blocks, right? Oh, he learned that last week. He's not going to do it again. Okay. Stack another block this week, stack it and just sort of continual upward progression. It doesn't go like that for multiple reasons, weather conditions, whether or not Justin's having a good game, whether or not the offensive line falls apart, all that stuff. And we want to see that and he, he hasn't had any of that consistency. Neither has he had even all of his limited personnel. So I feel like, any other grade besides incomplete right now on Luke Getze is like, okay, sure, go off, buddy. But, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's not fair, right? Let's give him at least all the players he has on the roster. Let's give him some stability at offensive line. Doesn't have to be great, but just let's go for average because that would be a huge upgrade from where they are now. And then let's see if he can string together plays and drives. Sounds like you you wanted the Bears to invest more of their resources on offense in the offseason. Yeah, uh, I'm actually okay <laughs> with their offensive line. Wide receiver would have been nice, sure. And you know, I'm not gonna say anything about players that are like on the Raiders that I said should be on the Bears. We're not even gonna go there, but no, it, it's I as a guy that's coming well, into his first, can. yeah, his first limelight professional opportunity. I, you know, it is not an ideal start like that. Is, that is not. that is a heavy sprinkling of degree of difficulty at this point. Yeah, no, that, that, that was just me poking fun at our. Oh, yeah. No, from, I feel from, it. From, from I feel it. that's that's fine. 
No problem. But again, let's uh, let, let's move over to the offensive line since we've kind of talked about that adjacently multiple times here. And look, overall, you have to be pleased with with the run blocking overall. Is it perfect? No, of course not. There's the, the players aren't fantastic players, but run blocking is you know in that scheme and everything. You, you you really can't complain about where the Bears run game is right now. But the pass blocking is still, you know, in my eyes, it's still unacceptable. I think. You know, you know, I was talking a little bit to, with Lester uh, earlier today, even, and we we had a disagreement on Braxton Jones. He thought, you know, Braxton Jones played played a lot better, and I I, I saw multiple ways. Well, not not only did Braxton Jones miss his guy, he went the wrong direction. He didn't know where he was supposed to be on that particular play. The one where Fields ended up having, you know, to scramble because it looked like he was about to, you know, it was a mess on the left side of the offensive line. But to me, when I watch that play, that play is all Braxton Jones. Now, Lucas Patrick looks lost, but I think Lucas Patrick was trying to bail out Braxton Jones, who went the wrong way. And then both Jones and Patrick went for the same guy at the same time, left the other guy. Mustafer stood there with cement feet. Like, I, I, I get all that. So, like, to me, you know, Borum maybe was a little better last week, but he hasn't been there. Tevin Jenkins' run blocking has been great. The pass blocking still not quite there, but I still think Tevin Jenkins is really – you know, I thought Lucas Patrick in August might be a guy that might get a second contract and be built upon. I don't think he's that guy either of these five guys. And maybe Braxton Jones will get there. He's not there now. I understand he's starting. I don't think Larry Borum's going to get there. What I'm saying about what I'm getting there is three or four years from now, which one of these, these group of this offensive line is still going to be blocking for hopefully Justin Fields. The only one right now I think is potentially is Tevin Jenkins, who I still don't think this regime necessarily likes, but <laughs> I'm still seeing a lot of issues with the pass blocking. And I don't know why Riley Reef isn't getting a chance. I don't quite understand that. I would, again, maybe he looks terrible in practice and he's 33 or whatever he is and he can't play anymore. That's a possibility. But for what this guy has been for the last decade, I don't know why he's not getting an opportunity and I just, and I know white hair's out now, but I just feel like they may not be putting their best five out there and their best five probably still isn't good enough, but the, the pass blocking to me is something that has been is getting more and more under my skin as we progress. Yeah, because it's breaking more and more plays. And we've talked about that. I'm certainly on our show, on this show, multiple shows, like it's not, it is a thing that is, it has to be fixed or you can't make other assessments. I don't I don't want to hear about Luke Getze's play calling until I see, you know, 70% of the pass blocking snaps be decent, right? I don't want to hear about Justin pass Fields. Pass block win rate says they're all decent, apparently. Uh, yeah. Uh, tape says something else. Uh, <laughs> and that's okay. And even the run blocking stuff, like, look, the Bears are like sixth in the league in rushing yards right now. Like, that's really impressive, but they're also way down there in pass blocking. So you need that balance. And the line's been a mess. A lot of that comes from center. Folks that have played offensive line understand the center. They call him hub for a reason, right? He is the guy that's calling protections. He is the guy that's setting people up. He's the guy that has to make the decision left or right. Who do I go help if he doesn't have a guy? Like there's just a lot more choice and sort of dependency at center. And center has been nothing but a soft spot for the Bears this year. Mustaver ain't it. Mustaver shouldn't be on the active roster in my opinion he's not winning anything he's getting beat regularly i i just don't 
know why you keep him on at this point. Maybe because you got nobody else that can snap. Patrick, I really want to see healthy at center, and we haven't seen that because of the hand, but at guard, and a lot of people aren't saying this because, look, he was Getz's handpicked guy to come in and, again, be the center, teach this offense, lead the protections, be that rock at guard, this whole rotational guard thing with Tevin. Lucas Patrick has looked awful at guard. Like, I, I don't mean, like, he missed a couple. He's looked routinely terrible. And that's worrisome, like, because guard and center, similar, different, but similar. And right. he's looked lost at guard. So I hope when his hand comes back and he can snap that he doesn't look that way at center, that he looks solid at center. Jenkins should stay at right guard for the rest of the season. I know that they don't, that there's something going on with the staff there. I don't know what it is. There's obviously something going on. When he's on the field, is he measurably better than anybody else? that they've rolled out in that spot. And the answer is a hundred percent. Yeah. Easily. And everybody's like, Oh, Leatherwood, Leatherwood. I'm like, no, take, take the bird in the hand here. Like Tevin Jenkins has been good at right guard. When you've rolled him out, not great. Does he have things to learn? Yes. As he showed all the physical traits we liked in the draft and the aggression. Yes. So he's like the one sort of, what are you doing? Don't mess with it. Just leave him there. Now that you've got the whole guard tackle thing worked out, just leave him there. Everybody wants to say Larry Borm's a great tackle or a great young tackle. He's not. He's getting whooped regularly. He has good plays. And I, too, have the same confusion about Reef, but I really think it's not best five. I think it's best five for two or three years from now, which is the question you asked at the top here. Who, you know, two or three years from now, who's still here? Reef isn't going to be here, let's be honest. No, right? but at some point you got to keep field standing. I that's that's the tipping point, right? What are we learning about Borum as opposed to what are we not learning about the rest of the offense because Fields is running for his life all the time because Borum's getting trashed and he's not not making the same mistake twice. He is making the same mistake over and over again. And He's getting pushed around. So at what point do you just say, okay, we'll take the veteran. We know he's not going to be here, but we're just going to insert him because he's probably going to be more stable than that. He's not great, but he's going to be better than that, I hope, unless he's injured. And that at least gives you some potential for the right side to be, again, average. I'm not looking at great here. Patrick, if he comes back healthy, is really the only option this team has a center. They don't have some great young center waiting in the wings. It's it's Patrick or nothing. The white hair injury is troublesome. If he had been there, yes, you leave him there. Otherwise, now that becomes the sort of rotational spot. Fine, put whoever there. And, you know, there are a lot of choices here. And, you know, some people think Kellen Deesh would be a guard. I would love to see him actually at right tackle. If you're going to put a right tackle out there, I have more faith in Kellen Deesh than I do in Larry Borum. Um, you know, Dieter's been talked about at guard. That's a possibility. They drafted Zach Thomas. Is he a guard? I don't know. Like he was a tackle in college. Like the now you got white hair out. Like that's the rotational spot is find somebody that works for guard. And Jones, just leave him alone, right? I think Jones has every potential to be Charles Leno and Chicago fans will wring their hands over that and sweat and swear. Charles Leno is coming to town on Thursday. <laughs> That's true. Making a lot of money. He, his current PFF grade is 77, eight, right? 
the Bears would kill for one of their tackles to have an average of a 77-8 grade right now, right? And if Braxton Jones out of the fifth round can become what Charles Leno became out of the seventh round in a couple of years, because look, Charles Leno didn't start off great either. He started off as a guy that had some skills and a big frame and continued to improve year over year. He got better and better and better. And that made him an average NFL left tackle. And that is a very valuable commodity. And if Braxton Jones can become an average NFL left tackle in two or three years out of the fifth round, the bears will have struck gold. So just leave him there because what else are you going to do? Move Borum, move Jenkins reef. Maybe now, probably not like just leave him there. He has a lot of athletic ability has a great frame. He showed some flashes. Is he going to have trouble? Yes. If you stay blocking is already pretty good. Yeah, if you stabilize that right side. And the funny thing was what I liked him out of college was not run blocking because EWU never ran. He had like 55 (laughs) pass sets a game and his pass sets for a guy his size were amazing. And it was one of those, it's kind of like Abe Lucas out of Washington State. It was like, well, can he run block? Well, he never has to because they're an air raid offense and they throw 70 times a game. Doesn't mean he can't. Turns out Abe Lucas is mean ass run blocker. And I think Braxton Jones has shown some of that too. Like, hey, we didn't do it at Eastern, but we get to do it here. And I'm a big dude and I actually like it. I'm an offensive lineman. I can get after people. So if you can go Jones, I'll just say X at left guard, Patrick healthy at center and hope to God that that works. Tevin Jenkins, just sit him in right guard and let him work. And then right tackle, maybe Reef, just because I kind of think you already have the tape you need on Borum to say, hey, sit behind Reef and get some pointers, be the swing tackle, because I don't think that's a bad role for him right now. If you can get those five on and keep them healthy for a four or five game stretch in the middle of the season, maybe we see some stabilization. I'm not talking about the heights here. I'm talking about midline. And if the Bears can get midline performance out of the offensive line, I think you're going to see a lot of things make more progress more quickly, including Justin Fields and Luke Getz's play call. Well, I, I think I tweeted uh, five, six weeks ago. I don't even remember. But it was it was either right at the start of the season or right before it that I thought left to right, Jones, Whitehair, Patrick, Jenkins, and Reef was going to be your best five. I'd still like to, I know Whitehair is out now. I'd still like to see it. Yeah. And, and I think it's pretty clear, but we'll, we'll, we'll see what the, what the Getsy and company decides to do. All right. Before I let you go, a couple things on the defensive side of the ball. And let's start with Roquan Smith. And we'll <laughs> rewind it a little bit here to the, to the preseason and the, and the hold in. But, you know, I, I had kind of an odd take on this in that, you know, other than I think that Roquan Smith should have an agent, put that aside. Sure. I agreed with both sides, which is, is an odd thing to do. But, you know, if Roquan Smith is trying to get an extension, I think where he was coming off of last season, is he necessarily better than Leonard or Warner? No. But is he close enough to that? You know, Kyler Murray is not the best quarterback in the NFL, but becomes (laughs) the highest paid quarterback because that's how these contracts are handed out. So when I sit there and see what Roquan Smith's level was, did he deserve five years, a hundred million and 55 million guaranteed? Yes, he did. If I was the Chicago bears, would I pay an off ball line, especially a new regime? Would I pay an off ball linebacker that kind of money? Absolutely not. That it's just kind of the situation that I don't value that position enough to pay that person that kind of money. And Roquan Smith was not Ray Lewis, where you're like, well, we're going to pay him anything he wants, kind of thing. So 
I didn't have a problem with what Roquan Smith, assuming that's what Roquan Smith wanted and didn't have that balloon 30 million or whatever it was in year five to bump the, the average sure. value up. I didn't have a problem with what Roquan Smith was asking for. And I also was absolutely fine with Ryan Poles basically saying, this isn't what we're going to pay you. Um, so that being said, coming into this year, yes, he had one phenomenal game, but Roquan Smith certainly has not put himself in that elite linebacker category. He is playing himself down on a contract level. He's at this point, if we keep getting this level of play, he's playing himself out of a franchise tag, even at this point, because that franchise tag is going to be like $19 million. Yep. So Roquan Smith and how he's played go. Not great. And I'm a Roquan defender. I need to start with that. Like I called him as the draft pick that year. I love his game. He has played very well up to this point. I had a soapbox a couple of years ago, defending him saying he should be, he should be an all pro. He should be the second inside linebacker in the league. And I put together a whole advanced stats package on all the, all the potential candidates for that. And basically said behind Fred Warner, it should be Roquan, not Shaq Leonard. And, you know, people had lots of things to say as they always do about those selections. But in my mind, he was, he was at that level. He was second or third in the league. If you watch the tape this year, specifically with D'Amico Ryan's coordinating the San Francisco defense, if you watch game for game, Warner versus Roquan, you after probably a game and a half to two games would say, why are you making me watch this? These two things are not the same. Like these are not comparable players and you'd be right. He had the one phenomenal game, but the two weeks before that, nobody talks about week one and two. He was bad. bad. He was bad. And then he had the phenomenal game and I thought, okay, okay. Maybe he just needed to warm up to the new defense, just like a new offense needs to gel. Sure, new scheme. Like, he was he's, holding out. he's in That's the okay. middle. Uh, he's got different calls, different language. That's all hard to pick up. Okay, he's he's shown, aha, this is what he can do in this scheme. We're going to see. Nope. He goes right back to playing extremely soft to getting run way out of run plays. Like, you want to see that middle linebacker go take on blocks now and again, especially at his size. He's not one of those little guys. He's not Deion Jones, right? He doesn't play at 212 or 216, like – Roquan can get there and deliver force. He's just getting run out. He looks like a zone offensive lineman holding up one arm and running along, right? That's not his job as a middle linebacker. He needs to dictate more and he can, he's super athletic. He's really smart. Like he has not played great this year. He had the one good game, but the two games leading up to that were, mm -mm, and he has returned to that level this week. Haven't gone all the way through the all 22, but he regularly was getting run. Right. And the Vikings were having their way. You mm -hmm. think, oh, if you're going to get paid as an inside linebacker in the modern NFL, like Warner, you got to play against the pass. That's it. You got to play against the pass. Sure. And he didn't play against the pass for the whole first half. They had it was it was free pitch and catch. Looked like seven on seven practice. Looked like shells out there for the first <laughs> half. That is not what you expect if you say we have the third best, you know pass playing inside middle linebacker in the league where show right. him to me like no he has not been that way so i understand people that don't have time to watch tape i understand people that say you have to keep the talent and i'm like hey who else are you gonna pay that's my only reasonable argument for the bears is what are you gonna do with your money who do you have on this roster that you're gonna retain 
at a high level, you pick this guy in the top 10, like pay him just because there's nobody else, but he's got to play better than this. He cannot do this and expect that kind of money. I'm with you. He's playing himself out of a tag. He's playing himself off the team. Somebody will pay him and he may go and flourish and bears fans are going to have to deal with that, but you have to look at it and say, you know, uh, if you want to flip it to the offense last year, would you have paid Allen Robinson top five receiver money after last year's season? And the answer is no, because he dogged it. He was terrible. He he cut out and said no. Now Roquan is not dogging it. I'm not accusing him of that. I don't think I don't think that's the case. But in terms of effectiveness, are you paying that guy in the top five? No, clearly not. In the top 10? Eh, I still don't think so you know, top 20. Okay. But he's not going to take top 20 money. Right. And maybe rightly not because he has more ability than that, but whatever the case is, this scheme contract year focus, I don't know. Like I I truly don't know, but the results have not looked like Roquan on the field. No, they haven't. And there is one play and it was, it was a run play and it was against the Packers. I don't remember which running back was, but he, but he swept up to the top and Roquan was literally unblocked. There isn't one. He didn't get caught in traffic. He is unblocked. And he could not get to the edge to make the play unblocked. Whether it was Dylan or Jones, I don't know. But again, it's irrelevant. A linebacker at that skill level, that should be going for no gain, one yard gain at the most. And I think it was about a 12, 15 yard gain before he was run out of bounds. That play to me just kind of encapsulates what he's done this, this season. It's very very confusing I think, for Paris fans because he's not being the guy he needs to be. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you about is the secondary, you know, specifically Kyler Gordon, but kind of the yeah. overall thoughts on, on the secondary here. Uh, you know, Eddie Jackson's definitely making better plays this year. It's, it's good to see, you know, I saw some people complaining that Gordon was on Jefferson too much when I'm sitting there. I'm like, well, who, who else do you want to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. to cover Jefferson? Uh, I mean, look at, look at the options here. Vildor has looked better. I am not a Vildor supporter, but he has looked better this year. Uh, and Gordon, look, you know, I, you know, he's in your, your neck of the woods. He's from your mm-hmm. backyard. And, uh, you know, so you've watched him a lot. A lot of, you know, they're asking him to do a lot, but a lot yep. of inconsistency here as well. So where are you with the secondary and specifically Gordon? Yeah, I'll start with the other players. I'll get to Gordon last. So Eddie has had a bit of a resurgence, and I really do believe it's because the talent around him has been upgraded. Much like you said, Lucas Patrick was probably reaching to try and help Braxton Jones. Eddie's been trying to reach and help gibson and whatever corner was playing opposite jalen johnson you know he's been basically having a two-way go at free safety which doesn't work you can't do that you can't play that position without trust in both the defense and and your teammates in the secondary um so he i think they have narrowed his role and focused him and he is making plays again and i'm super happy to see it because i was an eddie jackson stan when he got drafted first two or three years. And then I was an Eddie Jackson detractor as he really fell off for the last couple of years. And it's cool to see him sort of return to form. So that's great. Vilder I'll touch on briefly was not a Vilder fan. Uh, you know, thought he had some limited potential when they drafted him. They ended up playing on an outside corner, which is in my opinion, out of position last year. I'm going to eat a little crow on Vilder. He looks better in this defense. This defense works better for him. What I'm just going to say Indianapolis asks their corners to do this defense that came from the Colts. He fits better and he has, he has glowed up 
in this defense. He has played better. He has made plays regularly. So props to Vilder. Do I still want him starting outside on a weekly basis? Oh, no, no, I don't want that. But he has played better within the system. Jalen Johnson, (laughs) best thing ever for him is missing a couple of games because you see that this secondary is very dependent on his skill set and ability to lock somebody down. So that's a you know, plus minus kind of a thing. Um, Jaquan Brisker, we've seen his playmaking. Again, it helps Eddie to have that much talent. You can move him around. He's going to be a star in this league, given the chance. He's already made plays. He's going to make more going forward. Vilder's really been the focus. Brought in as, you know, a top draft pick, not the top draft pick. Gordon. And yeah. Is that and Gordon? Gordon. oh, sorry. This is Kyler. This is my guy. He's a Husky. I loved him. I really wanted him outside. I was pretty vocal about that. I understand them wanting him inside at slot at nickel because more and more offenses, including the Vikings, are taking their primary threat, Justin Jefferson, and running him through the slot. The Cowboys do it. I mean, even the Seahawks do it occasionally, right? And you need a guy at slot defender that can that can handle big slots. And Kyler Gordon would be able to do that. My problem with the approach is they said, do both, (laughs) right? As a rookie. So one, you have to make the jump from college to pros, which is big jump for everybody. And I think Gordon has plenty of talent athletically and mentally to do that. No problem. We're going to let you play outside corner. Okay. That's enough of a jump, but I can use my athleticism and I have the boundary. I have the border. I can use that as another defender. Nickel, you're on an island. It's very much like putting a safety in single high coverage and saying, hey, this anybody that comes deep is yours. At nickel, you not only have a two-way go on every route, your receiver can go left or right, but you also have a two-way go forward or back because nickel is the new base, and that means you got to fill that gap as a run defender. So it's not just pass, right? You can't just drop into pass coverage on your guy and call that good. As a nickel defender, there are plenty of plays where you need to go forward, fill that gap, and at least push the runner back to the other defenders on the inside. So it's a very, very difficult position to learn, one of the hardest. And to say to a rookie, hey, we're going to make you learn both. You're going to swap between both actually in-game. That's our strategy. That's our plan. And oh, by the way, we're going to be dropping you on some of the toughest matchups in the league. You good with that, right? That's a lot to put on a young player. And cornerback is a super high-profile position. It's like quarterback. It is the fact that when you make mistakes, they're amplified. They turn into touchdowns. There's, there's not always somebody behind you, especially if you're singled up. So when you you know step on your tongue, everybody's going to see it. And that that puts a ton of pressure on a young player. So they've put like as much pressure as they possibly can on him. Multiple positions, including one of the toughest positions to learn, some of the toughest matchups on other teams, and right out of the gate, just go. And I'm sort of like, what did you expect? I don't care how good he is. Like, he's going to slip up some, and then everybody's going to see it because of the nature of the position he plays. So Really tough assignment for him. Do I have faith in him? Yes, he's made plays. He played a lot better this week. I really do think they almost have to do what they did with Eddie Jackson and narrow it a little bit and say, don't try and do everything. We're just going to stick you in a place for your rookie season. And then if we can sort of, if you get that and you've got that locked down, yeah, we might add to your plate, but we're not just going to give you the full buffet table right out of training camp. Oh yeah, and you get Justin Jefferson. 
that, you know, I don't know anybody that could hold up to that. So I still believe in Gordon. I like him a lot. I feel like I'm not wild about the approach they've taken. Um, I hope he holds up because it's a, it's a huge mental load for a young player to get out there and then have everybody heap on you and say, see, we all told you you sucked. And he's like, come on, who could do this? No doubt. I agree with hundred percent of that there. So there he is at football EJ on Twitter, bootleg, bootleg football podcast with Brett Coleman. And of course, right here on the Windy City Gridiron podcast channel with uh, Jeff uh, Burkus. Uh, and uh, Bears Over Beers, brain cramp there. Couldn't think of the name for a second. It's all right. Over beer. So make sure you check it out this week. Uh, that'll be out. Uh, if you're listening to this when it was first released, that'll be out tomorrow on Thursday. So EJ, thanks for all so much time. Really appreciate it. And we'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Bill. There he is, EJ Snyder, at Football EJ on Twitter. I'm sure most of you are following him by now, but if you are not, check him out. Great content. And, you know, Great football content during the season, especially, look, Windy City Gridiron podcast page. Definitely keep it there for all your Bears content. But if you're an NFL fan as well, check out the Bootleg Football Podcast, Brett Coleman and EJ. It is great content, informative. You'll learn something. It doesn't matter how much you know about football. You'll learn something listening to those two guys. And then, of course, EJ, great, great, great stuff with the draft every year. Knows these guys inside and out, which is why it's great to talk to him about the rookies, right? Talk to them and the second year guys. Talk to them about the Borums and the Joneses and Brisker and Gordon, these guys. Because this is not a guy who started watching them like most of us, you know, as they entered the NFL. No, he's been watching them for years and been watching that tape. And not just the top first couple rounds like someone like myself. No, he is going deep into the draft. He is great. I love, I love talking to EJ. Love talking to EJ. He's a great football, great football guy to talk to. But look. Here we go. Game coming up short week and a beatable Washington team. Now, we know the Chicago Bears are not a very good football team. Like, I understand they're two and three. And if they win this game, they're sitting at three and three, six games into the season. And you're going to be sitting there going, oh, they could win this game, this game, this game. Next thing you know, maybe they'll be six and six and maybe they can make a push for the playoffs. I am not there. Again, I look at this as a team. I understand they beat the 49ers, but again, I kind of throw that one out because of the weather. I understand the 49ers played in the same weather, but weather creates fluky situations. So I kind of throw that game out in terms of what I'm looking at. The Giants, I don't think the Giants are as good as their record. That was a hell of a win against the Packers. But again, that's a Giants football team that I still think overall is beatable. They might go 8-9 and nine this year, especially after their, their great start. But I don't think this is a great Giants football team. And I think, you know, the Bears showed that they aren't quite at that level. The Houston Texans are the NFL's only winless team. They beat them on the last play of the game. The Vikings. Vikings are a good team. They were competitive with them in the second half. That was great to see. But again, I think we kind of are seeing where this Bears team is settling in. And yes, they could beat Washington and go to 3-3. Three and three, but I still don't sit there and go, well, that means they're a middle-of-the-road team in the NFL. No. I still think they're a bottom-10 team in the league. I still think they're looking for at a top-10 pick this year, and that's fine with me as long as Justin Fields develops because when, when you think about this, if the Bears are – let's just pick it up. If the Bears are picking fifth or sixth in the draft this year, they have two choices at that point. They can go up and get a quarterback if they need to, or stand pat potentially and get a quarterback 
And that's your investment, right? You're grabbing a new quarterback, you're dumping Justin Fields, whatever it may be. And there you go. But if you have the quarterback and you get a top five or six pick, what you can do with that in terms of the type of talent you can bring into the offense, or I guess still potentially on the defense, depending on where they pick. Yeah, there are a couple defensive players I would, you know, potentially consider if I was the Bears and picking that high. But we know how desperately they need to infuse talent into this offense and surround Justin Field with competent people. And if you are confident that you have the quarterback with Justin Fields, then you're picking an additional player at that level to infuse into the team. And you have that much more talent that you are getting. Because, I mean, look, if you're the sixth pick and you need a quarterback and you have to trade up to the third pick, let's say, that is going to cost you more draft capital. So that is going to put you behind. But if you can stay, maybe you even trade back and bring in more capital. There's, if you have a pick that high and you have your quarterback of the future already, it opens up the doors to so many things in terms of what you can do to position your team for that upcoming season. So I don't have a problem. You know, a lot of people saying great tank loss. And, and that is true. That, that was exactly kind of in terms of what I think is best for the Bears, being competitive against a good football team, losing the game, but seeing Justin Fields perform well and stack some plays in the second half that was what you wanted to see and that's why i was so excited at the top of this podcast is i saw growth in justin fields now again washington same situation beatable team not very good quarterback problems can the bears beat them absolutely can the bears lose to them absolutely so what am i i'd like to see a win i don't care really if they lose as long as i see more growth from Justin Fields. I'm going to call the Bears victorious this week. I'm going to say it's a little bit on the ugly side. I think it's going to be like Bears 19, Washington 17, somewhere in there. I think it's going to be ugly. I think the offense isn't going to quite hum like we're hoping it to because, and this is where there is a big mismatch, the defensive line of Washington is significantly better than the Bears offensive line. And I think we are going to see a defensive line harass Justin Fields again pretty good. Going to be frustrated about that because we are just not seeing the pass protection that he needs. So again, let's call it 19-17 to 17 Bears. They'll even it up at 3-3. Three and three. We'll see if I'm right. We will talk to you next week. Bear down, everybody. Adios. Adios.